0: Can you tell me why? So this is a a breaking down of
1: a barrier.
2: Can you tell me why?
0: The solution could very well be, can you tell me why?
1: All of which really begs, I think, a bigger question.
3: It just triggers all our instincts of wanting to know what happens then. Why do universities
1: exist? I know a hell of a lot more now. I mean, how many academics do you want to hear in one day?
3: Hello and welcome to Can You Tell Me Why? The podcast where you find surprising answers to difficult questions. My name's William Verity.
1: And I'm Hannah laxton Koontz.
3: All right, Hannah, over to you. What have we got this time?
1: Well, I think this is an interesting one. So here I wanted to know, do prisons work? It sounds like a really broad question, but please do hear me out. I just I've always been really interested in crime and justice, but I don't really know much about how the system actually works. And the concept of taking someone who's done something wrong and putting them in a building and then expecting them to change, has never really sat with me. I've always been kind of confused about it. So I thought, who better to talk to than experts from the University of Wollongong? I'm sure there's got to be someone there who knows about the justice system, about the system that we've got in place, and whether or not it's working effectively.
3: I think that's particularly true here in New South Wales. One, one of the The big, really unreported um, stories, I think, is the massive expansion of our prison population. Mm. It's expensive, too. It's very expensive. And nobody's really questioning that. We're building jails all over the place, and regional areas say thanks very much because they love the jobs. Mm. But I, I wonder why we're doing that and what good there is in that.
1: And there's so many things I feel like that happen that in society have changed over time. But I feel like prison and the way we punish people has stayed the same for such a long time. You know, we're in a day and age where technology and um, advancements are coming along left, right and centre. How come nothing has really changed that much with justice? Like it's kind of been the same forever.
3: Mm, So are we going to find out if it works or not?
1: Well, I guess you'll have to listen and find out.
3: All right. So who we got up first?
1: Um, So first we're speaking to Mitch Byrne. He is a psychologist at the University of Wollongong and he's got some pretty interesting stuff to say about why we commit crime and how the justice system works in changing the way people behave.
3: OK, let's do some time. I don't
0: know, anyone, if you get pushed out of your routine all of a sudden anyone gets a little bit like whoa hang on a second so imagine being in a routine for 25
1: years and then coming out and not having anyone to tell you where to go or what to do.
2: I guess where everyone draws the line as what a suitable punishment to a crime is is going to be different for every person. I think our justice system is obviously a lot better than other countries but I think there's always room for improvement.
1: I think definitely, to some extent, you need to keep all the crappy people away from the good people. But I also just feel like it's very much like, okay, go away for 10 years and then come back out into society and function. And it's like, okay, well, I have trouble functioning in society sometimes. Now, if you're anything like me, I have no clue about anything to do with our justice system. I understand that there's laws and that there's consequences for people's actions. Okay, my knowledge probably extends a little bit further than that, but you get the general gist. And the closest I've ever been to jail is a number of years ago, a new correctional facility was being built in my local area. It was open to the public and you could take tours and walk around and have a look at the kind of facilities that were being built by the government. But considering a hell of a lot of our taxpayer dollars go into these kinds of facilities, I have no idea how they're run. And more importantly, I don't even know if they work.
2: just think of violent crimes, for example, um, the psychological effects mm. on the victim, uh, the loss of work hours associated with that, uh, the cost of prosecuting the case, uh, and then the cost of keeping the person in the prison amounts to an enormous figure. Um, just to keep a person in a prison is over $100,000 a year. It's ridiculous and expensive, and if the, unless there's some outcome for that, it's wasted money.
1: That there is Mitch Byrne an associate professor at the School of Psychology at the University of Wollongong. With more than 30 years of work under his belt, Mitch now trains his students to navigate the law and prepare for when they're called upon by the courts or offenders.
2: We, like every other nation, uh, followed um, what's called uh, the classical theory of, of reasons why people commit crimes, which is rational choice theory. Uh, people believed People commit crimes because they make a rational choice between the expected benefit of the crime versus the potential cost. Uh, a bit like gambling, yeah? You know, so you go and you buy yourself a lotto ticket, you say, it's only going to cost me $30, uh, and if I win, I win $30 million, uh, but that's $30 I can't pay off my mortgage, yeah? And so, you know, people make those sorts of judgments. Now, if you believe that people commit crimes on the basis of uh, some sort of judgment about, you know, the net benefit versus the net cost... Uh, then what you've got to do is make the net cost bigger, right? So make the balance uh, in favour of not committing the crime. And that's where punishment comes from. The idea of punishment is the punishment deters people from committing crimes.
1: And that's all well and good, but people still break the law. So why do they do it?
0: We do have a lot of studies demonstrating the kinds of reasons why people commit crimes. So There's been a lot of research, there's mm. been a lot of things done, but unfortunately I think it's, it's much easier for governments to create a new offence, for example, rather than to actually go to the
1: drivers beti- behind why somebody might be committing that offence.
3: Mm.
1: Julia Quilter is an associate professor in the School of Law at the University of Wollongong. Not only has Julia worked as a barrister and solicitor herself, now her research is focused on criminal law and criminal justice style issues. And I was definitely keen to pick her brain and find out what she thinks about the way things currently run.
0: By and large, um, putting people away in jails is very unhelpful. Um, I think in some situations it's necessary, it's deserved, and it's understandable why we have a system of justice like that. But we know that many of the risk factors for people both committing. Uh, offences and also ultimately being imprisoned have many social causes so whether they are poverty whether they are mental illness issues whether they're drug and alcohol abuse issues and many of those things are not going to be resolved by sentencing somebody to a lengthy period of imprisonment
3: yeah so it seems to me there are two things going on here aren't there one Mm. is and i I think this is the least controversial bit of prison. One is just to get these bastards out of here. I remember (laughs) when I was at school, there was one, there was a a, a psycho skinhead who used to beat people up um, from my school because they didn't like my school. And it was a great relief when he was put into jail. It was like for six months. Everyone could breathe. Everyone could breathe. Yes. And so it wasn't about punishment, it was just about just. Get this guy – like expelling someone from a school. That's one thing, which I, I have no issue with whatsoever. The second thing is is by putting someone into prison, are you going to reform them? Yeah. You know, when you as a kid, if you're sent to your room, are you reformed by that?
1: So that's the biggest thing, I guess, because you can't just take that person, for instance, and say, all right, he's, you know, a huge disruption. Let's just lock him up indefinitely and everyone can continue to, you know, live their lives happily, eventually – he's going to be back, and if nothing has happened in that six months while he's been in jail to change, then his behaviour is going to be the same and then he's mm. going to have the same impact on everybody else.
3: Yeah, well, I actually have a personal story which I have never told, certainly haven't told my mum, so mm. mum if you're listening. Just is go a, make a cup of tea <laughs> or something. A cup of tea. Is, I, I have been locked up briefly for uh, drug offences, <laughs> uh, of which I was entirely innocent, I might say. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, not entirely innocent, but I was never charged. Um, so that I do have have some experience of that. It certainly didn't make me change my way. It just made me a little Angry. More, well, it made me a little more careful next yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. just sort of won, won't just get caught. A little bit
1: more tactical. Yeah, so it,
3: it didn't... I mean, it you know, it, it, it didn't do anything to change the behaviour.
1: Mm, interesting point. Let's mm. get back into it.
2: So the first thing to understand is that, as I said to you before, see one offender, you've seen one offender. To understand why they've offended, we need to undertake what is um, uh, currently conceptualised as a criminogenic needs assessment, which essentially means uh, a functional assessment or a, um, uh, a hypothesis testing assessment of what led them to crime. Now, it may be individual factors, it may be about their personality, uh, it may be about the circumstances they find themselves in. Um, certainly, we remember that you know Australia was colonised on the basis of convicts who stole bread mm-hmm. so that they can eat. Now, is that a crime? Uh, depends on, on your your belief systems about whether you care for your family or you, you care for the rules of society. Um, people commit crimes for all sorts of different reasons. And we have a, uh, a series, contemporarily, a series of intervention programs to facilitate change in those potential reasons why people might commit crime ahead of the expectation that that will reduce the propensity for them to commit crime again in the future. Um, the problem... Uh, And the problem that's discussed uh, most prominently uh, in the recent conference that I attended is that it's not just about the correctional treatments we provide people, but also about the environments in which we provide those treatments Mm. and how we maintain the individual sense of self, but also about the environments that we release them into. And are we releasing them into environments that are going to promote the continuation of law-abiding behaviour or are going to make it hard for that individual to continue to abide by society's rules.
1: But often, by the time a prisoner is released, the damage has already been done.
0: There has been a lot of research looking at what long-term imprisonments do to people and probably in the vicinity of somewhere between six and seven years it becomes incredibly difficult for someone to leave jail and to lead any form of normal life. Um, And so it's not just about, I think, to looking at what happens during the period of time when they're in jail Um, And certainly some of the rehabilitation programs are good. Some of the work in jail programs are good. Some of the education programs are good. But it's also we need to focus in on what happens in the gateway outside of jail. And we know that that transition period from being incarcerated to you know becoming in inverted commas free again is a very difficult journey um, for many people particularly people who don't have good family supports or friendship networks or other support systems one of the most common issues is housing where they actually live if they are um, on parole as is often the case after serving the minimum term where they actually reside during that period (laughs)
1: So I think one of the really interesting things that both Mitch and Julia have touched on quite a few times here is the fact that there's a hell of a lot more that goes into someone committing a crime than just that crime itself. You know, there seems to be a lot of other factors that drive people to commit those crimes. There's socioeconomic factors, there's mental health, there's, you know, the family you raised in when you're growing up. There's a whole bunch of other things, you know, what job you're working in, if you have a job, that is all operating around this person that leads them to make this choice. And those factors don't go away when you get released again. So Mm. I think it's really interesting how they're saying that it's important that people consider... All this other information when they're looking at a prisoner and why they've committed a crime.
3: Yeah, so it's, it's race, poverty, mental health. You take those out, you'd have completely empty prisons, wouldn't you? Mm. It's a bit like Tony Blair, um, who actually I'm quite an admirer of, even though he's, <laughs> he's not fashionable these days, said, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. Yeah. Which I thought was a good mantra. Okay, let's carry on.
1: So it seems like locking someone up as punishment and letting them out years down the track isn't working, which means we need to find a better solution.
2: The the courts uh, are progressively uh, developing uh, better options for the management of offending behaviour. I'll give you one example. Uh, In New South Wales uh, and in elsewhere in Australia, we have a thing called the Drug Court. Uh, And the Drug Court operates um, to provide an opportunity for people who've been convicted of a crime related to their substance use that would uh, be associated with a criminal, with a custodial sentence to instead of going to a custodial environment to go to a treatment facility for their drug dependency. Now that's much, much smarter than putting a person in jail.
0: The other thing I think that is really important and I don't think the criminal justice system broadly addresses very well at this stage is the interrelationship between factors that lead to offending Mm. so sometimes we find and the drug court is an example of that that we might focus in on the problems with the particular drug habit but what that does is it doesn't it compartmentalizes and looks only then at the drug issue yeah whereas there may well be mental illness issues there may well be financial issues mm. there may be a whole series there may be domestic violence related issues there may be anger management issues there may be a whole range of other issues and we do need to begin to think uh, much more i think for want of a better word, holistically, about um, the package that is before us in the criminal justice system, that is the person. They're not just made up of one problem like a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, There's multiple causes and reasons for that and we need to start treating each of those. But again, that's a resourcing question, but it's also, Mm -hmm. I think, a different way of viewing offending.
1: By the sounds of things, a change of view is what's needed inside and outside the current justice system. And while it might be small, we're already starting to see that shift happen.
2: Within the prisons, um, we also are seeing uh, significant changes. So there's been a, a plethora uh, of rehabilitative programs that have been developed uh, and a good science behind those and multiple uh, academic journals to report on the data of the efficacy of these interventions. But also prisons are changing the way in which they're managing prisoners and... Um, Uh, and in terms of the opportunities that they're giving prisoners to enhance their educational opportunities, their vocational opportunities, giving them opportunities when they leave prison that they didn't have before they went in, so that they have the option of leading law-abiding lives and contributing to society. Uh, And that's been an increasing um, uh, emphasis within prisons lately. And prisons are also being uh, much more open to new ideas. So some research that I'm doing currently with New South Wales Correctional Services on simple things like the management of prisoners' diets and how diet and nutrition can affect cognitive or mental functioning and how if you improve mental functioning, you improve the capacity of the prisoner to make better choices about their behaviour. And the New South Wales Correctional Services has embraced uh, these sorts of ideas uh, and supported the research.
0: There's been some great work done on the concept of justice reinvestment Um, and the idea there is that what you're looking at is the money that it would otherwise take through traditional notions of the criminal justice system, how you might be able to use that money instead of incarcerating the individual, that is jailing the individual, Mm. that you might be looking at for instance, a homework set up at a local community or a bus program to actually transport particular individuals, how you might reinvest in a local community Mm. the money that may well solve the root causes of the offending that is otherwise siphoned off into the criminal justice system.
3: Okay, another very fine piece of work. Hannah, that was really excellent. It was kind of a nice... Balance, but I mean, it's quite some quite meaty topics there. What, what I took away from that is it's a kind of nuanced view, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, prison is neither good nor bad, it's, and it probably is just straight prison is probably fine for Ivan Milat. I'm very happy that he's, in prison <laughs> that he's there, and it's not coming out, um, but, uh, but it's not so good for others. I'm encouraged, uh, skeptical, but encouraged that things are changing.
1: Yeah, there's definitely. Although we may not necessarily be seeing the change at the moment, I feel like that there are the people and the steps in place for change to be implemented over time.
3: Yes. I mean, the, the, the uh, it seems to me that politics is one of the big obstacles here, that for mm. so long it's been such an easy win for politicians, particularly state politicians, to kind of lock them up and throw away the key uh, it's a bit like the drugs war. But, same same thing. We need a change in politics. But
1: if money is a driver, what Julia was saying about the justice reinvestment, where you take the money that you're going to spend on having someone in jail and using that money in the community, that is a pretty good incentive to take that person who you might just throw in jail and think, oh, what else could we do to help this person change their life?
3: Yeah, bit so, of political leadership, maybe we'll get there. Let's yeah. Let's
1: hope. So what do you have for us next time?
3: All right. Next time we have the future is here. We have robots. <laughs> uh, and this is, it It seems perhaps a little bit kind of like on the side issue, but actually this is right front and centre for all of our lives, particularly yours being a young person.
1: And it's all going to be great news. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> promising futures <laughs> for us. That's what you're
3: going to say, right? <laughs> One of the people I speak to is, is, um, is an e- economist. The economics is known as the dismal science and, not, and for good reason. So <laughs> it's not going to be entirely upbeat, I'm sorry to say, but it's something that I think we all need to come to terms with because we are living through a revolution, the first stage of a re- revolution, which is going to affect absolutely all of us and particularly the way that we earn or that we don't earn money.
1: All right, well, I'll be definitely interested to have a listen and see what you've discovered for us. Okay,
3: well, so just take a listen to this. This is Eduardo Polo, who has got one of my one of the favourite voices of the whole university, so <laughs> just have, have a listen to him. The biggest issue here is that technology is replacing mental power. It means that technology is capturing those at least repetitive tasks And that means that unless you have the right skills, you might have difficulties in getting a job in the not too distant future.
1: Well, this sounds like it's going to be very interesting. I'll be eagerly awaiting for next episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to get any more information about this episode or anything else that we've discussed, make sure that you head over to The Stand. That's stand.uow.edu.au. Stand.uow.edu.au. This is Can You Tell Me Why? the podcast where we get surprising answers to difficult questions. My name is Hannah laxton Coons.
3: And my name- his name's William Verity.
1: And we'll talk to you next time.